Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the PowerCast. So today I have Glenn Marvin from Auckland, New Zealand. Um, he has a number of um, businesses and amazing things going on in his life. I'm really excited to have him on today. Um, his, his main uh, business right now is called Connector, uh, but I'm just really excited to share with you guys his amazing story and uh, things that he's done in his life and is doing now. So thanks so much for coming on today, Glenn. Hey, Ellie. You're welcome. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't even know where to start. There's so many amazing things. <laughs> um, so, I guess, first of all, can you just explain a little bit about what Connector is, I guess, what you're doing at the moment, and then we'll go into a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, sure. So, I've been in the digital marketing industry for... Got a long time. Um, uh, my previous business, Surefire Search, has been around since 2002, so not long after Google was even sort of, it came on the scene. And so Connector is really born out of frustration. Um, mm -hmm. So being in this industry for such a long time, I just constantly saw, you know, small to medium businesses getting either, you know, misled at a minimum and scammed quite often mm. by dodgy, dodgy marketers out there. And so I got quite heavily involved in, I suppose, setting up communities and systems in place in, in the New Zealand market to, I suppose, provide assistance and advice to businesses around who they can go to and where they can go to to get ethical uh, marketers and, and, and support. And that became like a massive passion for me. And I was doing a whole lot of pro bono work with these businesses and I found that just that, that I just loved doing this work with these businesses and helping them actually navigate out of troubled situations and into uh, a healthy relationship with a marketer. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, so I, you know, last year I ended up um, stepping down as managing partner of the of Shorefire Search, which was the agency that I that I ran, mm. and launching Connector, which is it's a free service for small to medium-sized businesses in New Zealand where we are introducing them to ethical marketers mm -hmm. that they can partner with and help them get out of, um, you know, they're those dodgy relationships where they're just getting ripped off. Yeah, yeah, totally. Cool, there's so many marketers and digital marketers these days and uh, I guess for a lot of people it's hard to find who are, you know, the ethical good ones and have results and who are the ones that just, I guess, think they're good and will charge a fortune but not really get the results. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And that's where, you know, that's where this has just sort of exploded because it's not necessarily a matter of biggest is always best. Mm. Um, most businesses, they want to do business with, most people want to do business with someone that they like, they trust and whose opinions they value. Yes. And so sometimes big agency is not the way to go. Yeah. Um, and you've got these different types of businesses. You've got full service agencies that are out there that are just after, well, how can we make the most margin? How can we win an award by being doing something really creative with your money? Mm. Um, and you've got those other ones that are there, that they're empire builders. They don't care how they grow their empire. They just mm. know that they need to sign more clients than they lose, mm. and they'll have a bigger, better business that they can sell one day and go and buy the, the bean of the boat in the batch. Yeah. So when we, really it's focused on value and, and results, right? Yeah. So that's that's the joy of being in this industry for so long is I've sort of I've built up this network of people that I like, I trust and I value mm. their opinions 
And I thought, well, why, why are we competing against them? Why are we competing mm. against each other when we should really be shouting praises of mm. all of these really good operators that are passionate about what they do? Yeah. They don't necessarily have massive marketing budgets, but they can do a far better job for, you know, um, a lot of businesses out there than, um, than they're currently getting. So yeah. develop a network of really cool people that I enjoy having relationships with. Yeah. And this is really just a, a medium to introduce businesses to people that are passionate about what they do and what they're good at. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And so you've been in business for quite a while now. How did you actually start out in the business world? Yeah, well, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur when it comes to a lot of this. I'm, I'm, I'm 45 years old now. Um, but I've, I've had quite a, let's say, a, an alternative journey to, uh, I suppose, the success that we've had to date. So I, um, I wasn't amazing at school. I wasn't your typical sort of student. I, I just cruised along. I was far more interested in uh, drinking girls and, and bumming around. So I went, tried to go to university, mm. uh, found out that I didn't really want to do that. I went to teacher's college and mm. dropped out of teacher's college because I got treated like some sort of sex offender because I was a male wanting to go and teach primary schools. Oh, so, I, so I started, started traveling the world. <clears throat> Um, and it was probably actually my biggest and best educational experience to date was, was five years of travel where mm. I went out, it was London, Europe, South Africa, um, the islands, Australia. Uh, and back then it was before Google, before Facebook, before social media, mm. you had to network, you had to connect and you had to communicate with people to get where you wanted to go, to get the right jobs, to meet the right people, to make you know, good money. Mm. And I had, and the, you know, the time of my life, and met some freaking amazing people. Mm. Um, got into uh, got into the wrong scene a little bit at times, and yeah. then you know, at the ripe old age of oh God, what was I, twenty six, twenty seven, decided I needed to come back to New Zealand and and grow up. So I came back to New Zealand, got a job in sales, loved it, moved into the police force. Uh, mm. because my, my passion is really helping people. Yeah. And so you know, I had that whole vision of, hey, you know, wouldn't it be cool, you know, being in the police, helping everybody every day. It lasted seven years um, and found that, you know, it was just the bureaucracy just stifles you and kills you and crushes your, your creativity and your, your need to really go out there and do something yourself. So mm. I left that and gone into the corporate world. But that combination that combination of the experience, life experience through travel and yeah. the discipline, the um, motivation, the, the understanding of what makes people tick that you get from building relationships in the police force mm. really helped me in the corporate world. And so within a few years, I was general manager of uh, a company that was owned by a private equity firm. And we ended up you know, buying and selling and flicking companies for a few years with them and you know interestingly enough that was about the time where internet marketing was starting to really take off yeah. and that was where I sort of found my passion for for the online spaces it was it was by accident it was yeah. oh geez this internet marketing thing we can come into a company that's not performing very well we can do some stuff on google Mm. turn the company's sales around, invest in the people yeah. and 
and get an amazing result really, really fast. It's obviously, it's a bit harder than that these days. <laughs> a bit more saturated. Um, yep. <laughs> but I just fell in love with the online space. And mm. the, rest is, the rest is history. From there, it was um, the online space. I grew uh, the original Surefire business. We had uh, a division that was focused on small to medium businesses. We grew that from virtually nothing to... Uh, around a $5 million a year turnover in a little over three years. Yeah, awesome. Sold that to an American company and I went back to corporate life and worked for the American company as one of the key men in that, in that, in that venture when they took over. Mm. And, you know, after about 14 months, I wanted to commit suicide after, you know, being back in corporate and oh having God. 37 hours a week in meetings. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I came back to Shorefire and um, that's been the last three years before setting up Connector. Awesome. That's, and so, uh, that's, the, that's the short version of the long story. <laughs> yeah. I want to go back to what you said before around, you know, you, you left New Zealand and you went and travelled for five years. Yeah. A lot of, and, you know, uh, I know you know a little bit about my story where yeah. I left Australia and the drug scene and a lot of destruction to go over to England and really mm-hmm. change my life. Um, what, uh, two questions, what changed for you to make that decision? Because a lot of people just stay stuck, you know, they stay yep. in the comfort zone and they don't make that move. So what was, I guess, the trigger for you to make that change? And did you know you were going to go for five years or did it just keep extending? No, I had no idea how long I was going <laughs> for. I, um, when I, I dropped out of Teachers College, I travelled around New Zealand sort of picking up jobs here and there and I met a couple of squeegee boys washing car windscreens at traffic lights from the UK and back then, you know, nobody had ever seen that. You know, today you just, <laughs> you just cringe and you go, what the hell, get away from me. <laughs> and I washed car windscreens at traffic lights for six months, earned enough money to get a return trip ticket to, to Europe. Yeah. And um, then went off and worked in the the bar and the club scene over there. And I was just like, well, to be honest, I actually met a a Danish girl and I was like, oh, there's my true love. I'm going to follow her to Europe and it'll be (laughs) moonbeams and rainbows and it'll be happy ever after. And um, we broke up before I even got there, but I went anyway and and loved it. Yeah, awesome. And what were some of the biggest lessons you learned whilst traveling that, that apply now to business or personal development? Life's about people. Um, you need to connect with people. Never be afraid to, or never, never underestimate or never undervalue yourself. Mm, um, it's, it's amazing the value that you can add to a relationship. Um, I met some incredible people. I was working in some bars in, um, in and around Notting Hill. Mm, yeah, um, Hampstead Heath, that sort of area, and it was mm. a very, very affluent area. And yeah. you know, for the first wee while, I considered myself I'm just a lowly barman. Um, and then I got to manage the pubs, and then you built the relationships with some of these, you know, celebrities and mm. really big, powerful business people. Yeah, um, and things like that. But in the end, um, you, I became friends with them, and it wasn't just a, you know, um, a superficial relationship yeah. Yeah. we would you would get invited to their houses you would go out and do things with them they would take you to shows and things like that because of the type of relationship that you got where if you are focused on adding value to the relationship not being a mm. um a leech then then those people value you 
yes. much more than those that just want to suck them dry for whatever they can get out of them. Yeah, um, and, and not being a fangirl or fanboy yeah. as well and actually, you know, holding a decent conversation. Yeah, and that's very, very true. Even today in, 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 in the environment that we live in today, we're, you know, in a, in a coaching environment. And, uh, you know, even today with, with my, my role as, as managing partner at, at Shorefire, I'm mm. constantly getting hit up for, you know, free advice, free this, free that. Oh, can mm. you just have a look at this? Can you just, you know, just, 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 just. Yeah. Um, and when people are constantly after the, the freebies, those are the ones that, you know, you, you end up devaluing the relationship. Yes. Whereas, whereas those that, I'm, I'm more than happy to share information with those that come to the party with value themselves. Yes. Because then it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Exactly, exactly. And I think going back to what you said before as well, like, you know, we're all equals. No one's above us just because yeah. they made more money or achieved different things that we maybe haven't yet. Uh, everyone has something special in their unique gifts and amazing personality to, to bring to relationships into the world. Hmm. Yeah. And so... Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, and I noticed that as well going to, you know, Richard Branson's Island last year. I, I was a bit nervous at first, but then I realized, no, he's just, you know, a human being and um, he's a great listener and has a lot of patience um, for, for everyone there and just had time for, to, to speak with everyone. Um, and, you know, we're all human beings. Oh, 100%. And that's, that was probably one of my my biggest learnings and it's probably one of the things that has put me in in great stead for my future from that point when I got back and I got into a corporate life and things like that. I was never afraid to approach a CEO or a CFO or a, mm. a marketing officer or a manager or anything like that because yeah. they're just people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What would you say to someone if they are lacking confidence in this area and maybe having some self-doubt? What would you say would be something that they can either do or something to shift their beliefs around this? I think the social media platforms have given, let's say, introverts mm. a massive, massive opportunity to gradually overcome this. Mm. Um, you know, I LinkedIn is my platform of choice when it comes to business relationships mm. that's slowly changing with the the way facebook is changing as well yeah but you can have and should always have a value first and it's so there's a mentor of mine that has to, it's value first you should always have a value first approach with um conversations and linkedin is about conversations just as facebook is yeah um with other people on the platform and so you can you can go into groups and you can go into discussions and there can be somebody that's a CEO or a manager or, or just somebody that you would love to pick up as a client or a you know, prospect or something like that. Mm. It's so much easier to have that engagement and to eloquently add value behind a keyboard than it is if you've got that intimidation factor of face-to-face -face in a room with a bunch of people. Yes, definitely. So if you can gradually, you know, come out of your shell by choosing to engage with people online to start with and seeing mm. how they react to the type of engagement and the value that you can offer them, 
then that can transpose into the face-to-face stuff because those people will turn around and you can, you'll end up having a coffee meeting with them or you can get invited in to come and see them or you can go to an event and you've already, you know, you've, you've already opened up that door. Yeah. So there's already a connection and a relationship there. So you don't feel as intimidated when you meet them face to face. So I would say use the social platforms to break the ice, to add value and to make them realize how important you can be to them. Yeah. Awesome. And I guess this leads into something else as well that I wanted to ask around leadership. Um, so obviously you've grown a business to 5 million, you've grown a team as well, obviously with that, uh, what what are the key things that have helped you to grow or the lessons you've learned along the way to become the leader who you are today and be able to, uh, I guess, not just manage team because it's not about managing team, but it's about helping them to, to grow as well. Yep. Um, I'm, I'm massive on this and mm. it's a bit of a wanky term, but I love, I love the term servant leadership. Mm. Uh, never hire somebody expecting them to stay. You should not want somebody that you hire to stay mm. in that role. You mm. want them to grow and you want them to outgrow that role. Yeah. And the sooner they outgrow that role, the better a job you've actually done because mm. they would be outperforming your expectations or the company expectations and deserve to get either a, a, a more senior role in your company yeah. or another role somewhere else. Yeah. And if, and if you focus on helping them become the best that they can be, not better than the person sitting next to them, mm. and, and I talk about the 1%, the 1% stuff, if you're just constantly trying to look at what is the 1% that I can improve this week, this month, mm. that compounding interest that you make in that self-development makes for a massive transformation over a period of six months, 12 months, a year, two years. Yes. Definitely. And, and I found as well, and you probably, I don't know if you've experienced this, when I took on my first full-time person uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, I wasn't the leader who I needed to be at the time. So I attracted in the wrong person and I wasn't decisive and kind of let her walk all over me a little bit. And she was just not the right fit for the role. And so I learned some great lessons with her in hiring the right person, first of all, but also in noticing red flags and letting someone go. And from that experience, I was then able to trust in myself more and become the leader I needed to be to attract the right people in. Um, Yeah. I think actually just today I I, I got a phone call yesterday from somebody that used to work for me that went into a management role. The company that he worked for fell over and he was looking for another management job. And, you know, yesterday I was a little bit more, he sort of caught me off guard and I was like, ah, okay, you know, look, I can't think of any roles at the moment, da-da-da-da-da. And then overnight it just bugged me. It absolutely bugged me. And I said, he's not ready. He's not ready for that sort of a role. And he's going to go from one shit management role with a shit company that's going to fall over to another shit role with a shit company that's going to fall over because he doesn't deserve to have a management role. So Mm. I ended up phoning him back up again today and having that blunt conversation with him about finding something that he's passionate about and joining a company that he would enjoy working with and do the self-development and and love the process of becoming the person that deserves to be a manager, not trying to get a management job just because I'm 38 years old Mm, and I think I should be a manager. Yes. 
Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, and then the other end of that as well, like you said, helping someone to outgrow their role. I had someone who started it as an admin assistant and within six months, she's now like my right hand woman and is in that managerial role. And, you know, I wouldn't know what to do without her. She's amazing. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's, that's probably an absolutely critical thing is actually recognizing people as well. Mm, Yes. Um, And just because you hired them for one role doesn't mean that you shouldn't promote them into something else, Mm. even if it is going to be hard to replace them. Yes. And I think that's the big issue that um, a lot of people face in the corporate life is Mm. businesses are reluctant to actually give them opportunities because they're so good at what they do. Yeah. And they don't want to risk losing them in that role. Yes. Yeah. Which, which they're just shooting themselves in the foot and they're going to, and that'll happen anyway. Exactly. And I do think a lot of people who are maybe hiring their first people, um, they're, they're actually scared to bring someone else in because they feel like they've got to have full control and Mm -hmm. they've got to do everything themselves. And so they're scared of actually stepping into that place of hiring their first team members. Yeah. Yeah. And, and recruitment is a, is an art. Yes. As an art as well. I'm a massive believer in, in the interview process. Um, don't get them to do role plays pretending that they already are a existing employee of yours and, you know, pitching your products or, you know, or acting as a customer service person for your product. They don't know it. They're not going to do a great job. Yeah. So we always turn that around and, you know, it made it harder work for me and my team. Mm. But we would, when you, when you're recruiting, I, I always say, well, let me be your client. You know, what's the role that you're currently doing? You should mm. know your role inside out. Yeah. Um, and so if you, I don't care, look, if you're a, if you're a, a photocopy salesperson and you want to get out of that industry, mm. well, that's cool. Well, let me be your photocopy, um, pretend photocopy client. Take me through your sales process. I'll, I will ad lib. I'll be the one that, um, that role plays yeah, you cool. do you do your job and then I can assess you on something that you should bloody know yeah that's that's a really great point actually mm. yeah awesome and then they've got more confidence as well they're yeah. not being put on the they're still being put on the spot but not as much mm-hmm. and they've got that confidence because like you said it's something they should know right yeah <laughs> yeah awesome so Obviously, we've spoken a lot about your business journey and a little bit of your personal stuff, but I want to go into the personal a little bit more. Um, you said uh, in, you know, when we were talking before this, you're an ultra marathon runner mm-hmm. um, and you've done the um, Everest marathon, which I just think is amazing. How did you start to get into, um, into running and ultra marathons? <laughs> Um, I like to think that I don't have an addictive personality, but this (laughs) is potentially completely blowing that theory out of the water. So back in the days when I was traveling in overseas, you know, the drug scene was quite prevalent and hanging around with people with a shit ton of money. There was, you Mm. know, there's Coke, there's speed, there's acid, whatever you wanted was always on, on offer. And I always thought, you know what? you know, I can play, I can do this, I can I can muck around. This is the time that I need to experiment and do all these wonderful things. And mm. I, I never, ever felt like the drugs were getting the better of me. Yeah. 
But now as I'm, I'm older and wiser and I've got this affinity with trail running and ultra marathons and marathons and things like that, I'm thinking, well, geez, maybe I do have an addictive personality and I just enjoyed the process too much. <laughs> but yeah. the, the reality is, is you know, I'm, I'm not into any of that stuff anymore and maybe this has replaced it. It's mm. for me. It's not about. I've, I've always been an incredibly competitive person. Mm. Um, growing up, you know, at school, it was about you know the sports, the girls, the drinking, and, and all that sort of stuff. But I mm. always thought, you know, I can get by on natural talent, and I'll smash anybody that you know I can I compete against. I'm, I was never the best. I was never quite good enough to make you know the the regional team or the national teams or anything like that. Mm. And so. It was probably in those years traveling that I realized, well, and this has gone through into my philosophy around business. Mm. It's not about competing against anybody else. It's about pushing yourself and pushing yourself beyond what you think is your current limits. Yes. So that's where, you know, I came, I came out of the police force, believe it or not. Um, you know, I went into the police force. I was about 75 kilos. Kilos. I came out of the police force at about 105 kilos because I was miserable and I was just eating and drinking and wasting my life. Um, and I thought, well, okay, well, shit, you know, I better do something about it. And I started running. And then the next year I did a half marathon. And I still absolutely vividly remember coming up to near the finish line of this half marathon running alongside this guy that looked like he was about 85 years old thinking, God, how, <laughs> how is he in front of me or, you know, keeping up with me? And this girl with a, you know, a, a butt as big as J-Lo and, um, you know, waddling along and I'm thinking, God, all right. <laughs> and then just as I was sort of like coming up to the finish area, they both peeled off and carried on to the full marathon course and that just crushed me. Wow. I was like, God, I could barely keep up with you bastards. Yeah. And I'm only doing the half marathon. So I said, you know, that was the day I said, right, next year I'm doing the full. Yeah. And then I trained for the full and I did the full. And then I was like, okay, well, now I want to do it faster. And then I got to the point where, okay, well, it's not all about speed. What's something that's harder? So I mm. started doing trail runs and the 60K race. And then I thought, well, I'll go and do this Everest marathon up at Everest Base Camp. And then a mm. 60K and then a 100K race. Yeah. And, you know, next month I'm doing a 316K race. Oh, my God. <laughs> Where's that one? That's in New Zealand. That's from Mount Cook, which is our, our highest mm. mountain. Yeah. All the way to the coast um, in Oamaru. Wow. And what's been your hardest one so far? And what, what did you learn or how did you grow from it? Two types of hardness. Um, the toughest was definitely, in regards to the race, was definitely the Everest Marathon. It was harder than the 100K races that I've done. Mm. Um, just because there was, there was at altitude, there was yeah. half, half the oxygen at altitude as it was at sea level. Yeah. So it's just harder to breathe. I picked up Delhi Belly on the way over and I lost 12 kgs getting oh to the start God. line. <laughs> so it takes two and a half weeks just to trek to the start line of that particular race. Yeah, wow. Um, and you know, I was still, you know, having to go to the toilet on the side of the path and, you know, throwing my guts up during the race. Oh and Not if, I was, if I was at home, I wouldn't even got out of bed to go for a 5k jog around the block. Yeah. But I'd gone all that way. I'd walked all that distance. There was nothing that was going to stop me. And that, mm. that had a complete impact on my mindset and that yeah. mindset around, how much, you know, mentally um, 
you can cope and you can get through anything. Mm. You know, the, the physical pain is one thing. Yeah. Your, your mental toughness will get you through anything. And it's not about how fast you go when you're doing those sorts of things. It's just about relentless forward motion, just one step after the other, never, ever, ever giving up. Yeah. And great metaphor, isn't it, for business as well? Yeah, it is. It is total, total great metaphor for business. And so that's, you know, then it goes, okay, well, if I can do that, I can do the 100Ks and then I can do 160Ks and now I can do a 300K race because yeah. it's not about... I'm not going out there to win it and to beat everyone else. I'm going out there to do something that I never thought that I would be physically capable of doing. Yeah. And getting through on mental toughness alone. Yeah. Awesome. And so we were talking before um, we started recording about uh, what you've just been doing in India with your with your family. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's amazing. Yeah. So. I, I've got a, a blended family, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, I'm a slow learner, obviously. I took, it took my, my second marriage for me to get it right. Um, got four kids, um, two, two of mine and two of uh, my beautiful wife, Anna's. And a few years ago, we were going on a, a big overseas, going to go on a big overseas trip. And we're like, oh, God, the kids are just going to yell and scream and they're going to want to do things. And it's just, you're going to manage them. So I said, oh, okay, well, how about... How about they just don't know anything about the trip? They don't know where they're going, what they're doing. And the whole thing is a mystery. So I created an, a, a holiday based on the TV program, The Amazing Race. So every day is a, is a new day. It's a new challenge. They've got two or three different things that they um, have to accomplish before they get their next envelope, which gives them the clue to the next location or the next challenge that they have to do. And the, you know, we go away for most 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 amazing races that we do. It's it's a three week overseas trip, mm. and you know, one day to the next, they've got no idea what's coming up. And we try and do some some cool things. We try and do some things that are um, socially interactive with locals and mm. actually making a difference in society as well. So we will quite often we'll go to an orphanage or a school and the kids will help out at the school or we'll go to a little village. Um, last year we went to Vietnam and we went to this little cooperative flower village mm. and all the kids had to, you know, it wasn't organised, but the kids had to find somebody in the village, um, ask them if they could help them and just in some way help tend to this big plantation of flowers, whether it's potting plants or weeding or anything like that, and interacting with the locals. So yeah. that's the sort of things that we'd like to get them to do. And we've got this ethos of you want to create a um, – want to turn them into travellers, not tourists. Yeah. And there's a massive difference in mindset around travelling than being a tourist. It's not about yeah. going there and taking photos of beautiful things and getting the best Instagram account. It's about <laughs> going there and meeting people and, and understanding the culture and getting embedded. Yes, definitely. Awesome. That's really cool. And you said other families have, have um, come along and done it with you as well. Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, last year we had 16 people on the trip with us to um, Vietnam. We had 12 people on the trip to India this year. Mm. We also had, um, God, we had about 15, 16 people in Samoa last year, and we're going back to Samoa again in April. And we should have between 20 and 30 people coming to Samoa. That's awesome. That's another little sideline too. Yeah, that's amazing. I'd love to do something like that with my kids. You're always welcome. (laughs) Yeah, cool. Um, And what are some of, I guess... 
I guess you hinted on the, or you said a couple of them just then, but what are some of the things that you want to teach your kids and what's the legacy that you want to leave as well? Mm, that's a really good question. My legacy that I would love to leave my kids is that they need to value people. They need to value relationships mm. and they need to focus on contributing to society, not sucking from it. Yes. And I don't care what they do. Mm. Um, and it, that sounds, you know, wishy-washy and, and things like that, but I honestly don't. I don't even care if they don't go to university mm. um, because, uh, and that's not just because I dropped out and, you know, I've turned out all right. Um, <laughs> it's about finding something that you're passionate about, following through, learning it to the best of your ability and knowing that what, I, what I'm doing in my teens is not what I'll probably be doing in my 20s and what I'm doing in my 20s probably won't be what I'm doing in my 30s yeah. and that may change again but yeah. as long as they're doing something that they're passionate about mm. and as long as that also is accompanied by doing good yeah. then I'm happy I'm happy and I, and I don't care if they are if they're, if they're a teacher or if they're a, an, you know working in an office or working in a bank or whatever mm. but as long as they have a, you know, a mindset of helping others and, you know, my personal thing of adding value first, yeah. then I'm confident that they'll always, number one, meet the right people mm. and do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. And so I want to bring it back to business for a moment um, before we wrap up. Yep. Uh, with a lot of a lot of people who would listen to this and follow what I do are probably um, making their way up to you know multi six figures and seven figures yep. um, obviously you 've had a multi seven figure business. What are some of the greatest i guess tips or advice that you would give to people who are making their way up to their first you know or multi six figures or their first seven figures have a plan. Mm. Uh, be prepared to fail fast and fail cheap mm. um, because it's not just about your, your primary business may not, it needs to evolve. Yeah. Um, what you thought it was going to be when you started out is not necessarily what it's going to be in the evolution of the business when you actually understand the market and what they need. Mm. But yeah. I think having that, having that plan and chunking it down, Mm. To, I'm a big fan of, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar of Vern Harnish, Scaling Up, Rockefeller Habits, but mm. it's got this really, really great philosophies around communication rhythm. So having that plan and having it as a 90-day plan, which is rolling. Yeah. So every 90 days, reassess your position. You know, what are the, the key actions that need to be, what are those rocks that need to be knocked off over the next 90 days? Nothing else matters. I need to get those things done. So then from there you go, okay, what are the tasks that are the most highest priority to get those things done? Mm. And then that all flows into your weekly meeting. And then I'm a massive, massive fan and believer of a daily huddle. 15 yeah. minutes. Yeah. 15 minutes focused on actual actionable tasks. Absolutely laser specific in regards to what are the three things or what are the five things that I am 100% going to accomplish today and yeah. saying writing a report is a bullshit answer. It needs to be, I'm going to be doing the report for ABC client. Yeah. 
It needs to be, I'm phoning this person up to chase them because they're behind and da 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 and we need to get this done. Yeah. And then the next day, very first thing, have you accomplished those things that you, you know, committed to doing yesterday? And what are those three to five things that you are committing to do today that yeah. are going to absolutely keep you on track to hitting your 90-day plan? And that's a really good point. The last thing you said, it's not doing the easy things. It's not no. sending an email to whatever. It's doing the things that are going to be the highest priority and, and working towards that work towards those bigger goals. Like you yep. said. Yeah. And if you don't have, you know, you can have your big, hairy, audacious goal. That's fantastic. But if you don't have those micro goals that you need yeah. to achieve on the way, yeah. then you're just swimming aimlessly. Yeah. Exactly. And it just gets too far away, too hard, and mm. you, you, you lose direction. When yes. You, when you nail it down to, okay, this is where we want to be in a year, and to get into that year, this is what we need to accomplish in the next 90 days, yeah. then you can say, well, shit, you know, I, now, I need to know, now I know what I need to do on a weekly basis, and if I know what I need to achieve this week, shit, that means that, that, that actually puts pressure on me to accomplish something today. Yeah, exactly. Not, next year is a long way away and we will get there. Yeah. It's, Christ, I've got a weekly goal. <laughs> yes. It turns it from a, a dream into reality and yeah. action. <clears throat> yeah. And it is amazing the compounding effect that has on traction and speed of growth. Yes, definitely. That's that's really good tips. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you. Um I want to know where can people um, follow you or find you and, um, and yeah, either on social media or wherever. Yep, absolutely. Um, probably best place to hit me up is on LinkedIn. So Glenn Marvin, that's Glenn with two N's. Mm -hmm. um, or you can join the ethical digital marketing community mm. on Facebook, awesome. um, which is a pitch-free, sales-free place for businesses and marketers to connect, share ideas, ask questions, get answers without being scared of being sold to. Mm. Um, and obviously there's the Connector website, connector.co.nz. That's Connector with a K. Um, yeah. I'll but, pop all the links, links below as well for everyone. Yep. That's, yeah. that's it. But I'm, I'm, I love LinkedIn. I'm in there all the time. I love Facebook. I'm in there all the time. So yeah. first port of call would be, Hook up on Facebook, uh, sorry, hook up on LinkedIn. Yeah. And um, yeah, love to share stories, ideas, and help people win their journey as well. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much. No worries. Always good talking to you, Ellie. Thanks. <laughs>